Good morning. My name is Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, as you saw, I heard Pastor Chris say, uh, we're going to talk about something that's not often talked about in church, and that's the subject of sex. Uh, if you're in a journal, uh, we're in page 42. If you say, what is that? This is our reading plan. I'll put into a journal. If you'd like one, they're free. As long as we ask you to use them, they're out on the wall. Also want to mention, if in your bulletin this morning, then we're going to jump into this, uh, you should have received, and if you're here last week, you know about this, a little quarter sheet that looks like this. What this is, is week four of this series. So in two weeks, when this series ends, uh, it's not going to be a standard sermon as we do kind of week in and week out. It's going to actually be a uh, discussion, a panel discussion. We're going to have two counselors on stage. We're going to have our guest speaker who's here with us next week. Can't not wait for you to meet him. Uh, and then Chris is going to be a part of that panel discussion. And it's for you to ask any question at all in the area of sex and sexuality that you have. Anything. There's nothing off limits. Um, because of that, you can ask it anonymously. Simply write it on here. We got 10 of of these last week, and they were some, uh, wow. I mean, it, it kind of validated how important this series is, honestly. And again, we want, you know, sometimes those questions you think and wonder and you go and Google and search it and get it, the world's opinion. We're going to say, what does scripture say about it? So any question you have, write it on there, drop it in the offering when you're done, or put it out in the box. There's a box in the foyer uh, for that. Now, with that said, uh, last week we jumped into this series, and I think we got off to a good start. Uh, we started with this, this reality last week. Sex is beautiful. Uh, and that's it. This series is done in, in, in a few weeks. We want two thoughts to be driven into our heart, and this is one of them. Sex is beautiful. It's a gift that God has given us to point to his goodness and his majesty and his beauty. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's not a dark thing, though. It has gone to those places for some of us in our culture. And we get that and understand that. So we're going to walk with that. But sex is a beautiful thing. Uh, the next statement that we talked about when this whole series is done, and we hope it sticks in our heart, is sex is very powerful. Now, this one is kind of what this morning is going to revolve around. And because it's powerful, God puts some limitations around it. God says, hey, there's some boundaries and some guardrails. And, and you step outside of these in this area, you're going to be hurt and significantly hurt, actually. The scriptures talk really this morning that this area, when we do it wrong, it has consequences like no other area that we do wrong does. So the sex is beautiful. Sex is powerful. Now this morning, this powerful side of it, I just want to give kind of a precursor. This morning is going to be very heavy. So I'll say that right up front. Uh, it's going to be very serious. It's not going to be lighthearted and fluffy. Uh, so I just want to say that. As a matter of fact, in some ways you could even say it's going to feel a little bloody, like we're going to war. As I think about that, I think, you know, one of the things that I don't want to apologize for, that, I don't think we do this enough, and that is um, it's bloody because at the center of our Christian faith, if you're here and you're a Christian, so I put my faith in Jesus Christ, at the center of our Christian faith is an execution. Have you ever thought about that? It's Jesus Christ who walked in this earth for over 30 years, and he comes to the end of his life, and he, he meets opposition, and he has his hair pulled. He has his uh, clothes stripped off of him. He has a crown of thorns pressed in on his head. He has a whip that is pulled out. And, and he's lashed so many times that the scriptures record that he was almost unrecognizable. His bloody beat up body is then laid on a wooden beam and he's nailed there. And then he's hung for all of people in that era to just look upon him in that form. It's bloody. Then he was buried and he rose again victoriously. He stands beside God and I say, listen, sin is ugly. The picture of what Jesus came to do, he came to destroy sin. He came to give us life and it's ugly. So here's the way I'd say it. John Owen says it this way. 
John Owen's a guy, um, long uh, passed away, but a theologian from the um, 1600s. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. In other words, what we really want to be doing is be killing what Jesus died to kill. Uh, this morning, the challenge is for us not to make peace with lust. Matter of fact, if I make peace with lust, I'm going to talk, we're going to look at some passages this morning. If I make peace with lust in my heart, I will perish eternally. Let me say that again, because you think, well, Adam, you talk about Jesus all the time in Jesus period. Well, I'm going to say this again. If I make peace with lust in my heart, the scriptures say I will perish eternally. Now, yes, I am passionate. You've heard me say it over and over. You spent any time here at this church. This church stands on that we are saved by grace alone and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, period. End of story. My goodness, when God looks down at me and says, you're acceptable, I'm for you. It is in Jesus, period. He adopts me in Jesus, period. I am made righteous and good in Jesus, period. And when I hear God say there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, period. End of story. So you say, well, Adam, how do you say if I make peace with lust, I will perish eternally? That's what we're going to talk about. Because by his power, I stand up and I pick up my cross and follow him. And I'm going to go to battle with the sin that is still inside of me. Something we talked about two weeks ago as we ended our series under the influence. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to dive into this thought. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Romans is three quarters of the way or so through. You're going to see some larger books around it. Acts, you'll see it up there in the screen. First, second Corinthians. A guy by the name of Paul wrote this to a church in Rome. That's why it's, we have the title Rome. You ever wondered that? That's where it comes from. Um, now, as you go on there and turn in there, I want to look at one verse. It's kind of going to, we looked at this verse a little bit last week, and this verse then sets the stage again for us this week. It says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. So run, get away from this. This is not something you fool around with. Flee. Not many sins in the scripture. Matter of fact, I think there's only three, maybe four, where that imagery, just run and get away from, is even mentioned. So flee from this thing. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So we see Paul, again, the author here, he puts the sexual sins in a whole other category. They have, they have a reality to them that no other sin has. So he says, now, why is that? Well, the verse goes on because do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We talked about that reality last week that sex and that union between a husband and a wife is the picture of what Jesus and the relationship he wants with us. We are one. If you have become a Christian, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one with the spirit of God and Jesus Christ. So it says, when you mess with this stuff, sexuality, it carries consequences. Now, what we want to do is, uh, as we look towards Romans chapter 1 and kind of that thought, what we're really going to see is we often look to sex to give us what we can only get from God. That's why sex, in my opinion, has so captured our culture. Because we're looking to it to give us what God says you can only get from me. So look at me at Romans chapter 1. This is laid out, I think, pretty clearly. We'll do our best to walk through it and see if uh, maybe it isn't clear to you until we get through it. Verse 18. 
of chapter 1 starts out and reads this. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that man, men and women are without excuse. I want to pause right there. What this, see what this passage is saying? What this passage is really grasping at is, listen, God has created the world. God has made the, as you look around and you look at the night sky and you look at the moon hanging in that sky, or the sun that comes up in the morning, or the sunrise that comes up, or the beautiful autumn leaves that change colors, or the palm trees down in the coast and uh, in Florida and other places, or you stand at the edge of the mountain and look up at its snowy peaks, or you stand at the Grand Canyon and look out across, or you just along the shore and you feel the power of the ocean crashing against your feet, or you stand and look in at your own body and look at your heart beating and, and the way that your body has been put together intricately and beautifully. And and you look at this, God says this points to the fact that there is a creator and all of humanity knows this. Romans chapter one is one of my favorite passages that describes the reality and the nature of humanity. They say, well, Adam, I don't think all of humanity knows that. No, they do. There is every single person I believe with all my heart has a point in their life, whether it's when they were two, three, six, 16, 26, or 66, when they have a point in their life, when they say there's something more to life than this, there might be a God. Every human being has that moment. And this scripture teaches that. And the reason we have it is because we look out at this world and God says, when you stand before me one day and you say to me, I didn't know. I had no idea. He will say, what were you looking at your whole life? You're without excuse. Now you continue reading verse 21 for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were dark. And I want to pause right there. One of the greatest indications of how you do you glorify God? Just ask that question. Do you? One of the greatest indications is how often do you thank him? If you make it a repeated practice of thanking God for your life, for what you have in life, for your spouse, for your kids, for your job, for your health, for your whatever it is, if you spend a repeated, if that is a common practice in your life, then you're probably glorifying God on a pretty consistent basis. Now, but it says most people don't do that. Okay, this passage says most of us don't do that. For Again, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they were, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. See what it's saying? So you may have your PhD in religion. You may even be a pastor at a church. You may think you're so wise and have got all figured out. But your hearts are dark and you're foolish because you're looking to the created to find life, not the creator. You're looking out there. Now, here's where sex comes into this picture. If you think about it, one of the thoughts I mentioned last week as we looked at Genesis chapter 2 is sex between a husband and a wife was the crowning achievement of God's creation. Another way you could say it's kind of the crescendo, kind of his final masterpiece because he creates the animals. He creates birds and he creates reptiles. And and then he says, uh, he continues to make this magnificent world. Now he's going to create man. And the difference between man and animals is animals have simply an appetite and a drive. Man has the image of God stamped in him. So then he makes man. And then as the world goes on and created, he says, well, I got to make a partner for Adam. So he makes woman. 
And so it's like each thing is getting more and more intimate and more and more beautiful. And so he creates woman and woman, Adam comes awake from his surgery and he opens his eyes up and he's like, wow. And the Hebrew poetry just breaks into this beautiful poetic, she is so beautiful. She is woman. And then, and then the final thing God creates is now that because of this beauty of woman, because of this creation of man, you're in my image. You guys will be naked and unashamed and you will be one flesh. That's the final thing God creates. Now, it's no mistake then why it is the thing that we look to to find life when we deny the creator himself. In fact, the way I've learned to say it is sex just might be the closest created thing we have to true connection and worship of God. Look with me at verse 24. Therefore, Because we've exchanged, because we say, okay, God, I hear you. You're created. You've created all this, but I don't want you. I want this stuff. Therefore, because of that, God gave them over. One of the scariest passages, in my opinion, all scripture, when God says, I'm just going to step back from you. That's the way you want to go. Then that's the way you're going to go. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Now look at this. Look at what the sin is. Sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. It is no mistake that the first and only sin mentioned right out of the gates is sex, sexual impurity. It's no mistake because it is the closest thing you and I will get. If we deny our creator, it is the closest thing you and I will get to filling up that void that was left when we got rid of our creator. Now, it goes on again. Three times he gave them up. Twice, it's the direct correlation to sexual sin. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Again. Homosexuality clearly mentioned here. People say it's not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Right there it is. And it's named as sin. I know some of us struggle with it. Okay. And it is a sin. There is hope in Jesus for that sin. And we're going to talk about that whole area next week, but don't miss the reality. He gave them over. And the first thing that they're given over to is sexual sin. Without God, the closest thing I'm going to find to what my heart truly craves is sex. The way I said it, this is how I wrote it down in my notes. I just want to read it to you so I don't misquote myself here. We either worship God as creator and in turn enjoy his creation, including our bodies. Our bodies were created. Sex was created. So I worship God and I enjoy and thank him for this magnificent creation that he's made. Or we worship creation and in sexual sin offer our bodies in worship to one another. Now you say, Adam, you're so extreme. You're so serious. Well... I thought, maybe I am. So I went on to my, um, if you've ever been to any weddings I've ever done, I talk, this is the reality I talk about. And what I say in my weddings is generally something like this. We either, uh, what, what we do is we need to worship our number one, God himself. But often what we do is instead of worshiping our number one with our number two, our spouse, we in turn worship our number two and then try and bring number one in, into the relationship. And so I talk about that in weddings. And so I, what I did this past week is in my studies, I just went to my playlist here in my phone. And I just went down through my playlist. And on my different playlist, I have what's called the uh, Sweetie Music playlist. Um, there you go. You probably learned more about me than what you wanted to know, right? 
And my sweetie playlist is for just what it sounds like. My wife is my sweetie. That's kind of the name we I hardly ever even say Tanya. I mean, it's either mommy or sweetie. The two words generally come out of my mouth. Uh, and so I have my sweetie playlist. And my sweetie playlist is for after the kids go to bed, let's put the music on, you know, and set the mood. Uh, I won't say any more about that. Um, and then, or the other one is at times, I know she's probably like, oh, there are 50 shades of red right now. Um, <laughs> After that, you know, maybe it's where we're driving in the car and just, you know, playing out on a date. Just her and I play some sweetie music. And so what I did is I went down through my sweetie music. I'm not condemning this music. It's on my own playlist. But what I began to realize, almost every single song on that list has worship language in it. Almost every single song. We ascribe to our spouses and our loved ones the place that only God should hold. So what I thought I'd do is just want to play a couple of them for you. Okay, the first one, it's on the life that jumps. It's actually, this is, I think, song one right now on my sweetie list. It's a song that most of you are going to know. It's a song that has been at the top of the charts for most of this past year. I mean, it has been hanging up there. It is a beautiful song. It's a powerful song between a husband and a wife. And again, I just want to say this, this little precursor. I understand that God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So at times, the language is going to sound very similar to the language we're going to use with God. But I really want to let the weight of this set in on your heart. How easily we begin to take this language in and sing it to those we love. So this first song is by John Legend, All of Me. So go ahead and listen to this song and check out some of the lyrics. Now, many of you know this answer. But who is the one person in scripture that we're to love with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength? Is it our spouse? No. Not at all. What you see in that song is worship language. Set aside for God alone. And we, what we said, we sing it to those we love. All of me loves all of you. Give your all to me and I'm going to give my all to you. When what it should be is I worship my number one with my number two, not I worship my number two. Next song. I went down my playlist. This is for the country fans in the room. I got a, I got a very eclectic sweetie list. Um, uh, Brad Paisley is the next one, the song then. So go ahead and capture, capture a few seconds of this song. Again, beautiful and powerful song about how love kind of grows and matures and you're so, you're so infatuated here when you first meet, but it just matures and gets deeper. But again, right out of the gates, now you're my whole life, my whole world. Is that really true of a spouse? Should that be true? Do you see how we begin to shift what belongs to God, to those, to romance and sex and marriage? Now, Almost every song, even Journey, I had a Journey song in there too, for those of rockers from the 70s. Um, almost every song on that list had God-like language. Even one, I was going to play this, but I've lost so many man points, uh, Celine Dion. I even have a Celine Dion song on my playlist. Some of you are going, oh my word, Adam. The song, I'm Alive, some of you know it, but it's, she, I just wrote the lyrics down. You set my heart on fire, you filled me with love. I was like, whoa, this is those lyrics. My spirit takes flight. Worship. So you can sing that in church. Uh, now, but the final one is a song I want to play for. Is not on my playlist. Uh, one of the things I love to do, I have a YouTube channel that I follow that regu- every single week they give you the top 100 songs in America across the board. I love, I love, I love taking this in because why I love doing this is because music, music is today's young people's theology. It's how they think. 
Music speaks their language. It is, speaks to the language of their heart. So if I'm not paying attention to it, I think I've lost a great avenue to connect with young people. So I love, I love watching it. And over the summer, a song started, it landed in the top 100 in the summer and slowly has been climbing. And today it is in the top 10. I believe it's still there. And if you listen to FM 97, it is played over and over and over. Uh, and it's a song that it doesn't just subtly put this stuff out there. It bluntly says it. And it says it in a very catchy tune and a tune that makes us want to sing it over and over and over again. It's in a, even a gospel type sound to it. It's this, the song is by Hoser and it's take me to church. Grab some of the lyrics from this song. Now, some of you say, well, that's a little, um, that's not as crystal clear, but when you really study and you listen to interviews with him, he is directly taking shots at the church. And he basically says, I'm tired of you having us bear our soul only to get a knife stuck in us to use it against us. Now the church is guilty of that. I'll, I'll, He's got a point there. I think the church has done that for a lot of years. But when you listen to his lyrics, what he's really saying just bluntly, my church offers no absolutes. In other words, don't tell me what's right and wrong. I determine that. That's our culture all around us. She tells me worship in where? Did you hear it? The bedroom. Romans chapter 1, through and through. The only heaven I'll be sent to is what? When I'm alone with you. When I first heard that, I was like, oh, my word. It's Romans 1 all over the place. Bluntly laid out there, not even subtle. We do this stuff. And some of you look and want to condemn and push out. We, all of us, have a tendency to go this way. I want to worship the created instead of the creator. I want to worship sex and romance and love. And in that I will find hope and life and salvation and fulfillment and all that I want and all that I desire. It's found there. Romans chapter one says, no, you've exchanged the creator for the created. And it leads to a dark place. It leads to pain. It leads to heartache. Now, the one thing I want to say too, is I want to make this statement. Marriage will not redeem sexual sin. Again, because at the root of this, it's me worshiping something other than God. And the first time this really jumped out at me was when I was at Bible school. And in walks to our dorm at night, we, five days a week, we had devotions. Uh, and, and so one of us in the dorm would lead and we're times we'd bring guest speakers in and we're in the middle of this missions conference. And so we thought we'd reach out to one of the missionaries that was there at the conference. It was the executive director's son. And he comes in, he's a missionary. He married a beautiful wife. They were newly married a few years and he comes walking in and he sits down and he begins to tell the guys, all of us in the dorm, Hey guys, listen, I struggle with masturbation. And we're all like, what? Are you kidding me? She's beautiful. You're newly married. How do you struggle with this? Now people ask, was masturbation sin? We'll talk about that in week four. That's one of the questions that was asked last week. And all I'm going to say now, and we'll let the panel get into it more is oftentimes with masturbation, the issue isn't the act itself. It's what's happening up here. And what's going on in the mind? We generally aren't thinking about the box scores from the the game the night before. It's usually some stuff up here that's kind of dark. So he's talking about this and we're all like, what on earth? And that's when the first time I began to realize marriage doesn't fix the problem. Sometimes marriage makes it worse because I'm getting married to find my life, to find my soulmate, to find the one that's going to complete me. It just makes it uglier and harder. Now, turn with me. I want to land this plane in a passage, Matthew chapter 5. If you're in Romans, you're going to back up towards the front a few, uh, not, not far. 
Matthew chapter 5 is a section called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus preaching. It's Jesus talking. It's one of his most famous messages. It's one of the most famous sermons of all time, actually. Uh, and he opens up this thing. And he's going to go at uh, kind of who he is and why he's come. And so he's laying this out. And he kind of works through the Ten Commandments, works through the law. And he gets to the one in verse 27. He begins to talk about the one about do not commit adultery. So verse 27 reads this way. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So pause right there. Some of you can say, I don't commit adultery. I'm good. I'm good with that. Check. I got that one. He said, no, no, no. Guys, let's really examine the heart. What do you think about? What's going on in your head? Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Let that set in. Do you hear what he just said? I'm not going to gloss over these words and just patch up, oh, Jesus, period. I want you to really let these words set in. Let me read it again. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Whoa. What do you do with that one? First thing I want to say is this. I want to start with this place. As I've worked with teenage boys and young men and old men. I don't work a lot with the girls in this area. I know they struggle, but I generally let women counsel women, and I think it helps purity across the board in the church. But as I've worked with men, one of the things I hear is I'll hear this argument and pushback. Oh, is it really sin, my lust? I mean, isn't, aren't my thoughts my thoughts? Who are you to get into my head and police my thoughts? I mean, my thoughts are my thoughts. Who are they hurting? Well, I would say this, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, this is not her direct quote, but this is her thought. Uh, and she talks a lot about this. In the last 10 years, the science in this area has exploded. But she basically says this, my thoughts are real things that occupy space in my brain. They're real, tangible things. You can actually see them with the equipment that they have, that you can see your thoughts. They're proteins that form in your head and in your mind and in your brain. And they impact you. Studies show that when you have a thought connected with passion, which pornographic thoughts generally are, when you have a thought connected with erotic feelings, that thought locks in your head for three months. One thought, three months. Three months. Now, when you're struggling with reading erotic novels and looking at things you shouldn't and having lustful fantasies, it's usually not just one thought. And they're locking in there and it's setting the course of your life. Husbands and wives, what goes on in your head will radically impact your marriage. It will radically impact your life. Deal with them. They aren't just your thoughts. The other thing I would say is this from this passage. I'm going to get very heavy here. I know I warned you up front. Do not gloss over the eternal danger of lust. Don't let this just, okay, I believe in Jesus. I I struggle with lust. Don't go there right now. We'll end there, but don't go there now. Push into this passage and look what it says. Doesn't it not say, here's how I paraphrase it. It is far better to go into heaven maimed than hell whole. Push in with that. Allow that to step in towards you. Those of you especially, you know, statistics say that 70% of this room struggles with pornographic 
lost men and women. So chances are the person beside you, the person in front of you, behind you has a problem in this area. And allow this passage and the weight of it to set in. It says, listen, it would be better to go into heaven maimed than to hell whole. Take care of this. See, remember Romans chapter one. What is at the root of all sin? At the root of all sin is preferring or treasuring anything above God. Sexual sin stands out because it tries to mirror what I have in my relationship with Jesus. And it comes between that oneness. So what's the answer? What does the passage say? Let's just start with the passage. What does the passage say? Cut off your hand. It might be the instrument that you're using to masturbate. I said this is going to be a very frank discussion. So cut it off. Gouge out your eyes. Now, I don't want to see anyone come next week with bandages wrapped around their head and all over their arms. I don't believe literally that's what I think Jesus is saying is this is extreme. Take extreme measures. So it could be this. It could be this. I have a phone and I'm struggling with images on my phone. So I should put a filter on my phone. Let me ask you a question. Is that extreme? My answer is no. Do you know what extreme is? Throw the phone in a trash can. Go buy an old flip phone. You don't need a smartphone. Oh, but life would be... No, life is actually easier without those crazy things. How about my computer? Throw it in trash. If you can't control it, cut it off. Okay, well, I, I read erotic novels. So I'm just, when I go into Barnes & Noble, I won't go to that aisle. How about don't go to Barnes & Noble at all? How about um, I flirt at work? So I'm just going to take a different break time because I know he's there. She's there at nine o'clock. And so I'll just go at 10 o'clock and I'll do my break then. Okay, that could work. But how about quit your job? You say, oh my, are you kidding me, Adam? Are you kidding me? I think that's what Jesus is talking about. It's extreme. Take extreme measures. Cut it off. Gouge it out. Don't fool around. Because it would be better to go into heaven maimed than hell whole. This is not, do not make peace with lust. It's not a simple little problem that I can deal with. Now, I don't believe that's the whole answer though. Yes, I believe it's where you start. I think you need to do these things. I think you need to start there. But you know, Romans chapter seven, verse five says, it's not the complete answer. Matter of fact, Romans seven, five says, this is law. This is rules. You're going to add these things and they're going to bring life. If you obey the law, you will have life. I believe that with all my heart. (laughs) I know people that aren't Christians that obey the law and they have brilliant lives. Obeying the law will bring blessing in life. However, Romans chapter seven says that when you ink, when you attack this thing solely with law and rules, what are you going to get coming along with it? More sin. Where law increases, sin increases. So if I'm going to simply add up, okay, hack it off, cut it off, throw it away, then I'm actually going to struggle more. So here's my suggestion is that we fight fire with fire. Think about it this way. If you think about a sin that you've committed this week, I promise you, no one had to command you to do it, right? Holiness is never found completely and totally in commanding and following the law. Think about a sin that you've committed. Did someone have to command you to tell that lie? Did someone have to command you to look at that image? Did someone have to command you to have the extra helping of ice cream or take the five extra trips down the buffet line? Why did you do it? I wonder why I did it. It looks really good. It's promising satisfaction. I'm going to enjoy that. 
No one commands you to sin. So why do we go after holiness with commands? I think we need to attack fire with fire, fight lust with promises of superior happiness. In other words, what we tend to do is, is you want this, whatever ice cream, because it promises to give you something only God can give you. So I want to fight fire with fire. Remember the root, the root as Romans chapter one talks about is of sin is treasuring something above God. So here's my suggestion to really fight this thing is do what you must to open your eyes to the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. That's the solution. That's the ultimate answer. Start with cutting off the hand, gouging out the eye and the rules. Put the guardrails in place. I think it's hugely important. And then fight, fight like hell to do what you must to open your eyes to the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says it this way. The very structure of the identity of my heart must change. I need to make sure that the message of Jesus Christ, his good news, is what pardons me and cleanses me from wrongdoing. You know, it's interesting to me, oftentimes, um, what stands behind sex sin is unresolved pain and shame. Sometimes it's what's been done to us, and boy, that's a monster to unpack. And I encourage you, if that's your, where you're at, step out with someone and get some help with that. Or it's because of things that we have done. And and it's interesting to me, unresolved shame and pain, who solves and gives us the answer to that? Jesus. But we look to other things to find it. I've also found this as I've walked with young men and, and old men even through this. Almost always behind lust is pride. Almost always behind the fantasy world is the subject of pride. Again, pride will not survive in the presence of Jesus Christ. It can't. It won't. One of the things I do, I want to read this passage to us, and I think this will lead us to our prayer. Backstage, if you're ever in first service, you notice I never come out here in first service, hardly ever. You say, why is that? Because I'm nervous. You know, I do this week in and week out. I'm still nervous. And my nerves make me do things that I won't um, go any further than that. It's probably too much information, right? So I hang back there because my tummy's all churned up. And um, I just try and focus and get my head around me. So I keep a, a card, a laminated card. And I change it every so often with different verses. And I always keep verses on here that talk about speaking. How important it is, like 1 Corinthians 2, 3 to 5, I have on there now. Or I put verses on here that deal with my heart and my own sin and who I am as a person. But I've always kept this one verse on here. I want to read it to you because this is a verse written from an older pastor to a younger pastor. He says, this is what I want you to do to lead people. So as I read this kind of like saying, okay, Adam, this is Paul, the apostle Paul. I'm going to say, okay, Adam, as a young pastor, Adam, when you go out on that stage, this is what I want you to do. Okay, here's what he says. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. That's a whole message within itself. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to the many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. Verse four, but... But guess what? When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. In other words, you didn't save yourself. He saved us. Not because of our good works and our righteousness, not because of the righteous things that that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Yes! It's not me, it's Jesus. 
Now, then he says, young pastor, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. Insist on these teachings. Adam, when you walk out on that stage, this is the message I hear Paul from from centuries earlier saying to me, Adam, when you walk out on that stage, insist on these teachings. Insist on Jesus, period. Insist on the beauty and the majesty and the greatness of Jesus Christ. And it's his mercy and his grace and his death and his resurrection and him sitting next to the right hand of the Father that will give you life. It's not their work. It's not their righteousness. It's not their good deeds. It's not their church going and their money giving and their helping of the poor and everything else. It is Jesus, period. Insist on these things. Do it week in and week out and never stop. And when you do, they will devote themselves to doing good. It's a natural response. So I say fight fire with fire. That is a desire that's bigger than anything we can get our heads around. The beauty and the connection and the greatness and the majesty of that God in heaven. And he says, I promise one day you will be here with me. I've given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that promise. Ultimately, you're going to fulfill that promise. Hold on to the supreme pleasure, the supreme happiness. And don't settle for all this lesser stuff. Hold on to me. Insist on these things. That's why I say, do whatever you must to open your eyes to the beauty of Jesus. That's why I stress so much. I stress, stress, stress. Spend at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, 15 minutes a day, opening up the scriptures to say, God, here I am. Show me your majesty. Show me your beauty. Reveal yourself to me. Let me see you. I don't want to get up from that place until I do it. Again, because so often, so often, What we do is we look to sex to give us what we can only get from God. Lust says the more erotic, the better. The more erotic, the better. You know what what the Bible says and where reality says? Studies we even, not even just the Bible. Studies say say this. Reality says the more relational, the more intimate, the better. Get to know your creator. Don't exchange Don't go through the exchange that Romans wants to get to know God in Jesus. Fight to see Jesus as more desirable than anything else. And don't make peace with lust. Take it to the ground and kill it. What I want to do is want to pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. I pray that you guys are able to sing that. I'd open up my eyes. The ushers are going to come and take uh, or receive the offering. Encourage you again, t- drop in your tear off. Maybe you have your questions that you said. But as you sing this song, God, open up my eyes. Help me to see Jesus. God, am I, doing, am I at peace with the lust in my heart or am I going to war? Am I willing to take the extreme measures to hack off my hand and gouge out my eye? And God, am I fighting to see your beauty? Let's just sing this song from our heart and allow it to do its work. God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. God, I think of Matthew 5, and um, I shudder at those words. Think of the battle I've had over the years with lust and will probably continue to have. God, I pray for each person in this room that battles in those areas. God, may we not make peace May we not justify and rationalize. May we not try and scrub it away. And God, may we ultimately find our life in you, period, end of story. May we not look to our spouse for life. May we not look to our kids and 
our boyfriend or girlfriend. May we not look to our jobs and success and comfort and money. God, would we look to you? Would we find our life in you? Open our eyes to your beauty. Open our eyes to see Jesus who came to this earth to show us you and all your glory, to show us what you look like, how you think, how you feel. God, may we see Jesus. May we see Jesus. God, for any person here, maybe this is new to them. God, I pray that maybe this morning's the morning they see when I'm a sinner. I want a relationship with God. I, okay, so all it takes is, God, would you just right now, would they hear you calling their name? And would they respond and put their trust in you, in Jesus Christ? And God, we celebrate as you welcome them into the family. And God, for those that are here that are Christians, God, I pray that we would not get so comfortable and so secure that we kind of take a lackadaisical attitude with the lust that will run rampant in our hearts and minds. But God, may we do battle and may we do it well by seeing your beauty. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.